I want to start with some good news. Um, I read yesterday in Travel and Leisure magazine that Texas is one of the top 10 happiest states in the country. Is that good? Now, it's number 10, but it's one of the top 10 happiest states in the country. That's, there's 50 of those, you know, so 10 is really good. And the thing that Texas scored about on the highest, and I sh I, we shouldn't be surprised at this, is that people in Texas live with purpose. They have a purpose, and they know what it is, and they live out that purpose. That's kind of a Texas way, isn't it? So we're one of the top 10 happiest places in the United States. I think that's pretty good. Let's give ourselves a hand. All right, now that we got the good news out of the way. <laughs> no, this is not bad news. It's actually good news too. It's just in a different way. It's, it's the good news that comes after going through uh, the bad news. I'm writing a new book on pain and suffering. And uh, I hear that's pretty prevalent among all human beings here on the planet in one way or another. So I want to talk about that and what the Bible has to say about that. And I've been thinking about what's happened lately. We saw a high-rise condominium complex in London burn, and, and 80 people so far have lost their lives in that. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger fire in my life when I saw pictures of that. It was unbelievable, the, the fire. It's, it's a wonder that more people weren't killed, but still 80 people so far perished in that fire. Yesterday, they arrested a man here in Houston that's accused of shooting a 10-month-old baby in the arms of his father. 10-month-old. I mean, it's just incomprehensible, really. I think they had the funeral for that baby uh, yesterday. They brought home a young man from North Korea, certainly one of the most evil dictatorships that I have heard of in my lifetime. There's no telling what they did to that kid. And they got him back to the United States, and within two days after arriving home, he, he died, 21-year-old young man. I'm thinking about that tonight, and I'm thinking about all the suffering and anguish, and there's just a couple of examples from this week. While we're in here tonight, there's a storm raging outside, and there's a storm raging outside, and there always has been, and it's not just rain and wind. This life could be extraordinarily difficult. It could be very, very painful. While we're sitting here within a 50-mile radius, there's thousands of people who are hospitalized tonight while we're in here. They're in the hospital right now. Some of them will never leave alive. There are jails within 100 miles of here that are some of the largest in the world and certainly in the country, and people are incarcerated tonight. I got three emails today from inmates who are trying to correspond with me in other states in the Union. I, I get them all the time. They want out. They want a better life. They, they feel like they pay their debt. They want to they get over the suffering of being incarcerated, even though legally they, they're paying a price for what they did. Some people go to, go to sleep tonight here in Houston without a place to sleep. Some people have no food. My son Chris just graduated from law school and you'll uh, be taking the bar next month, and um, oh Lord, he needs your prayers too. It's an extraordinarily difficult test, the bar exam, and uh, I'm glad it's difficult. You know, do you want a lawyer who didn't pass the bar, that didn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't know much about the law? Uh, I want it to be tough, and it is, um, but Chris was 
and I were talking the other day, there's actually a section of the law that you study that causes you or enables you to sue someone for pain and suffering. That's in, that's in the suit. You know, you can file a suit for, for pain and suffering among the other things that you can sue for. So even the law recognizes that's part of the life in which we live here on earth. And if you live long enough, you'll have some of that pain and suffering. Some of you have it now. If we could stand and give testimonies tonight, some of you have it now. You're going through something now, or if it's not you, it's somebody you love. I know you do. Nearly one in every two Americans in some way or shape or form is suffering now, whether it's arthritis or diabetes or, or some illness. Some, maybe it was a, it's a mental illness. Maybe it's something that you're really struggling to get through. A great loss, isolation, loneliness. There's just... There's just something about this life that could be so extraordinarily difficult. So, how do we get over this? Uh, is it possible to get over it? Is it is, can we endure? You know, Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, you can look over. The psalmist said the same thing. Psalm 22, 1. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't just say that. He continued, why are you far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. I think groaning is a good description for the world in many cases that we live in. It groans. There's a lot of groaning going on, unspeakable things. Groaning in our own personal lives, groaning in the world. I don't recommend this movie, but I, I heard about it and I watched a scene from it. It's called The Faith in Our Stars. There's a, it's a story about young cancer victims and um, they're in very, very difficult condition. I mean, they really are. And, and they go to the point where they actually have kind of a funeral service for each other and they say the things that they would say at the funeral if the other one died. Kind of a strange thing. But after one of them does die and they just come from the funeral, there's a young girl who was very close to the man, young man who died. And, and she's telling the story. She says, when I was so badly uh, infected with or overwhelmed by the cancer, I was in my room and the nurse came in and I was such, such profound pain that I couldn't even speak. But the nurse asked the same question she always asked every time she came in the room. And if you've ever been in a hospital room, there's a chart on the wall with a happy face and a sad face, and you look from one to the other, and the, and the people there will say, on a level of one to ten, what is your pain? Oh, Lord, how many times have I been asked that question? One to ten, what's your pain? And this young girl, this cancer victim, did this. She couldn't even speak. She was in such pain. Nine. The nurse went out, she gave her some medication. In a little while, she came back to check on her. By this time, the young girl was able to speak, at least speak. And the nurse said, when I was in earlier and I asked you about your pain, you held up nine fingers. The young girl nodded, yes, nine fingers. She said, I know you were in greater pain than that. And she says, yes, I was in greater pain. Why did you only hold up nine? The nurse said, and the young girl says, I was saving 10. 
I, I understand that. I do. And there will probably be some times in your life where you'll need to save 10. It'll just be so difficult and overwhelming and painful. But of course, I have good news tonight. There is a way to overcome that. There's a way to endure that. There's a way to not only, not only deal with it, but conquer it and use it to the glory of God. And so that's kind of really where I want to go tonight. The title of this message is Forsaken, No, Victorious, Yes, Yes. So despite all the obstacles, despite all the things that we can endure, despite all the things that we need to come, on, come through on a daily basis, I think we can have a meaningful life, more than a meaningful life, under the circumstances, actually through the circumstances, and emerge on the other side victorious. If I've been asked one question in the past 30 years, and I've been asked a lot of questions, one of the ones I get the most is, how do you get through pain? How do you get through pain? I want to know how, and maybe they've lost a loved one, maybe they've had a hurricane blow everything away, maybe Maybe their, their daughter is in jail. The, the list could go on and on, but the question is, how do I get through suffering? How do you endure pain? Do you take some medications? Do you scream in the middle of the night? Do you meditate? What do you do to get through this? It's a serious question, seriously asked. So I want to ask it now. We discover that although we can be robbed of a lot of things by the pain that we're enduring, in the midst of it all, God can use it to bless other people. I had an Asian mother come up to me in Southern California. I was speaking in a Chinese church, and she came up to a book signing table where I was sitting, and she was so tense you could see, you could see the tendons in her neck. And she pounded on the table, pounded on the table and leaned down at me, and this is what she said. I am so mad at God. I'm so mad at God. And I said, why are you mad at God? She said, he took my daughter. I said, your daughter? Yes. I said, how old is your daughter? 21. I said, was your daughter a follower of Jesus? We were in a church. And she said, yes, she was a follower of Jesus, but I can't believe he took her and left me here. I said, I can only imagine how painful and difficult that must be. And I asked the question I always ask, was your, your daughter a faithful follower of Jesus? Yes, she was. Well, then she belonged to him first before she belonged to you. I said, and the separation is real, but it won't last. There'll be a great reunion if you're ready to go. I'm ready to go, but I'm just mad at God. I said, well, you know what? It's not going to bother him a bit. He's God. And he'd rather you be angry at him than ignore him. I said, maybe that's the start of the, the re reunion. Maybe that's the start of the reconciliation is the anger that you're directing towards him. And, and you can shake your fist at him all day. But you know what? You'll lose again. You lost your daughter. Now you're going to lose a meaningful life because you're angry. How many people do you know like that? I mean, you know people like that, that, that had something terrible happen to them, something awful maybe something that somebody did to them when they were a child, and they're just angry at God, and I understand that. I think we all do. But you don't win that way. You don't overcome that way. That actually becomes the thing that defeats you all over again, and that's really a terrible defeat. I want you to listen to these words. These are from Dr. Viktor Frankl. Dr. Viktor Frankl lived in a concentration camp 
in World War II. He was a Holocaust survivor. And these are the words that he wrote about being in a gulag, being in a concentration camp. We lived, we lived in a concentration camp. And I can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of all human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. It is a choice. It has to be a choice. It won't come naturally. You can have, uh, you can be, you, can, you know, the wheels can come off of your, I mean, you can just be stopped in your tracks. You could even be backtracking. And the truth is you'll never go forward again if you don't choose to do so. So how do we do that? How do we choose? I was in uh, Colorado a few years ago at a big conference and Johnny Erickson, I never did know how to pronounce her last name, <laughs> ta-da, ta-da. You know who I'm talking about. Wheelchair bound from a young girl, uh, paraplegic, quadriplegic, really. She paints with her teeth. She's just one of the most encouraging, up, happy people I've ever met in my life. And I think about her sometimes when I think about people that they're going through actually comparatively a lot less significant injuries who just seem so blown out by it, so, so destitute, destitute so, so defeated by the circumstances of their lives. How do we get past that? We can choose our opportunities. We can choose to be bitter. We can choose to believe that the life's significant events can actually make a difference in the lives of other people. That God does delight in our weakness and he can use those things to bless other people if we'll allow him to do so, if we choose to do so. If God loves us, though, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? We want to know if it matters. You know, Mother Teresa, the, the nun that uh, operated the orphanage for many, many years over in Calcutta, one of the really worst places on the planet for children and she operated a, 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 an orphanage over there for them. And they asked her about this whole concept of suffering and overcoming and being overwhelmed. And here's what she said. I love this. She says, I know God will not give me anything that I cannot handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Like, if it's in proportion to how badly he wanted you to know it, you must, he must have wanted you to know it really bad. He must have. Well, that may be true. Tim Hager, who was a pastor in Washington, wrote this, when sin entered the world, death entered the world. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We know what the wages of sin is. What is it? Death. The wages of sin is death. And all the things associated with death, and that's chronic pain and illness and disease, they're all leading to death. The things that we're enduring and suffering eventually lead to death because we know we're going to die. The death right here is 100%. So, so if that's true and we live in a fallen world and we are going to suffer because of it, when what's the purpose of suffering? 
the psalmist introduced the whole subject. Why have you forsaken me? I'm in bad shape down here, and, and what for? We're groaning, and we need help. Why? Well, let me suggest some things. Here they are. And I want to say before I list these things, there, there is comfort when there are no answers. That's another sermon, but I want to point that out. I think it's important for you to understand that these are not all the answers, so there is still comfort in God when there are no answers. Let's face it, there's going to be some things you never figure out here that I'll never understand here. And, and you're going to be surprised when you get to heaven because you think, I'm going to ask God when I get there about this, and you won't care. Really, you won't care. It won't matter. But there is comfort here when there are no answers. Here are some answers about suffering. Suffering produces intimacy with God. Suffering produces intimacy with God. That's the first one. You look over in Job. Wow, Job. I mean, I remember being in a hospital for such a long time, and I would think about Job, and he would give me encouragement. I would think about, well, if Job got through all that, all those losses, all that pain, all that suffering, and, and we don't have time to chronicle it tonight, but, but you know that he went through unspeakable things. And here's what he said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. See, it took that for him to say that. I mean, he took all those things. Apparently, that was the threshold for Job. I, I heard of you, and I heard you, but now that I've experienced all these things, and Lord knows what he experienced, he says, now my eyes have seen you. I, he became intimate with God. He became conversational with God. He, he, in many ways, just saw the face of God and what was going around him, and then God prospered him because of that. He, he overcame it almost as much as he's been through it. And the pendulum swung so far the other way as not to be recognizable. Intimacy is born out of the furnace of affliction. When we go through the long, dark nights, that's, that's the times when God is so close to us and, and we can hear his voice and, and Job saw his face. There's an opening of the soul that happens in times of stress. During times of suffering, we experience God on a deep, profound level if we allow ourselves to do, to do so. It's, it's the chance to be intimate with God. That's what suffering can bring. Now, I, I suggest you might be able to be intimate with God on another level, but nothing like suffering will cause that. Nothing. I've told this story here before. Eva is here tonight. You know, we watch hurricanes. I don't care where they are, don't we? I mean, where there's a hurricane, we're, on the, we're watching TV. We want to find out where it is. Years ago, the hurricanes were in Florida. They weren't in Texas. And there were three of them in a row. Bang, 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 one after another, coming in different directions. And we're watching the news, and there was a horrible destruction. And uh, the mayor of a small town is being interviewed on national television. And he's standing in front of his house, which has been destroyed. And so things couldn't get much worse. The anchor man in New York asked him on TV, how does this make you feel? <laughs> News, you know. How does this make you feel? And he didn't really think about it very long. He kind of shuffled his feet a little bit and he says, well, sir, it's just like getting hit by a big truck. Eva sitting beside me, 
I got hit by a big truck. And she says, did you hear what he said? I said, yes, I heard what he said. And she said, honey, you're the standard for misery. <laughs> Only a wife, but in that perspective. Well, you know what? We don't want to be the standard for misery, but sometimes we might be. It's intimacy with God. I, I've never been closer to God in my life. That verse that they hung at the foot of my hospital bed, be still and know that I am God. I was still. It was my privilege for several years to serve on the board of directors of the Far East Broadcasting Company. It's a missionary radio all over the other part of the world, the other hemisphere of the world. There are radio stations in Saipan and in South Korea and Japan, and they're broadcasting over to Moscow, down to India, across to Southeast Asia. 148 countries, 48 different languages every day. And you know the majority of people who work for Far East Broadcasting are not known. No one knows their names. It's too dangerous to be known by their names. They serve silently in places People think that they're doing something else for a living, and most of them are, but they're also working for Far East Broadcasting. We can't even mention their names back in the United States for fear someone here might hear that and jeopardize them over there. And I think about those people often in a jungle somewhere or in a, in a business building, in, in a private thing that's walled off so nobody knows it's actually there, broadcasting the Word of God to people who are lost and need hope and who are suffering, and these people never will be recognized for what they do. They're alone. I can't imagine the lack of intimacy that they have. They're intimate with God. Because I've talked to some of them. I've never met more godly people in my life, and they are the Lone Rangers. It's unbelievable what they do. Here's the second thing. Suffering equips us to comfort other people. Suffering equips us to comfort other people. We have more compassion. We understand what they're going through. We have more experience. We are enabled to minister to other people. Sufferers want to talk to somebody else who gets it. They want to talk to somebody who's experienced it. A widow wants to talk to another person who's lost their husband. A person who's been through cancer would like to talk to someone else who's been through cancer. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible, some of them that I've, I've actually quoted the most in the past few years are these in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 4, and 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now listen to this. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort that we have received from God. Oh, thank God for the people who have comforted us in our darkest nights. And you know one of the ones that meant the most? They've been there. They experienced it. They know what they're talking about. In the early days of uh, my ministry, uh, when I obviously had been rehabilitated and got my devices off of my legs and my arms, I would sometimes show up at a place and the first two or three rows of people would be people in wheelchairs with devices on, neck braces on. It looked like a mash unit would come to the, they just brought them up there. 
And I was thrown off by this for a while, and then I began to figure out that somehow they knew about my story. Sometimes they must have read the book, and they wanted to come and watch a guy walk that they were told would never walk again. They just wanted to talk to somebody who got it. They want to be comforted by somebody who's been there. You've been there. What are you doing beyond the walls to try to help someone else who's going through a long, dark night? It's just a question. You know, I just, I'm just so excited about this, this new opportunity to go out and do things here and there around the world. And I think part of that is going to have to be sensitive to the people out there who are looking for answers from people who get it. And understand. So I think this is one of the important things about suffering. It's, it's, it's comforting other people with the same comfort that God has given you. We can all do this. God help us to do it. Number three, suffering refines us. It refines us. Isaiah 48:10. I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. There are those words. Well, I mean, metal has impurities. Most, even the purest of metal, they still need to be taken to a foundry and they melt them down and they, they take the impurities right off the top, you know, because they're, in, they're impure. They have impurities. And suffering refines us. It, it's a way of taking out all the things that are negative in our life. It's, it's a way of taking the things that are impediment. They're, they're an obstacle. They're the things that keep us from being all that we can be because God is refining us. He's helping to be focused on what we're here for in the first place. And this is not something we desire, something that we want, but it's something that God does. He refines us. It's clear that pain and suffering have a way of bringing out our strengths and our weaknesses. And when God skims off the weaknesses, we're less with our strengths. And we can be used in a much more remarkable way. I remember the sermon I, the first sermon I ever preached. I think I was 17 or 18 years old. And I remember, what is it, the violet that, that is crushed by the foot is never the same, but it, uh, it sheds its, its forgiveness on the foot. It's like it's a way of forgiving. It's a way of being used even after it's been destroyed. And we can be refined, even though something very difficult. Maybe, maybe we bear the scars for this. God can use this. Because it's now the focus of our lives, the focus of our attention. He uses it. Here's another one. Suffering produces growth and maturity. Well, let's face it. Sometimes we don't want to be mature. Do we? Really? You know, do we really ever really grow up? I'm okay with that, but God wants us to be mature in the life that we live and, and, and make a difference. If we turn to God in our pain, he'll use our suffering to mature our faith. And, and, and that is illustrated in James. I, I want you to read these verses. They're probably very familiar to you, but try to listen to them in the context of this right here uh, in, in, in James, because I think this really really speaks to it. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
What if the founders of the faith, what if the beginning people of the church of God would have stayed immature? What if they had not endured all the things that they did, the martyrs of the faith and all the people at the beginning? And that's what this is really saying here. It's saying by enduring those things, the faith is perfected. It is, it is moved forward in a mature way. And only maturity is really going to make us move forward. It's immaturity that makes us move backwards. So consider it pure joy, my brothers. Well, that's us. Uh, when you face trials of any kind, you think, well, is that a good... Is it wonderful to be in a trial? Is it wonderful to be tested? Yes, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Yeah, we become mature in the faith. We, be, we grow as a result of the experience. We have maturity. We're able to do things that we probably never could have done before. Listen to this. I don't know. I, I searched for the, the derivation of this quotation, but I couldn't find it. It, it says unknown. We have no right to ask when sorrow comes, why did this happen to me? Unless we ask the same question for every time happiness comes into our life. Why did this happen to me? That's maturity. Maturity allows both of those things. Not just why did this happen to me, it's what am I going to do with this? How, does, how do I process in life? What difference does this make? How do I make a difference in the lives of other people? Because something wonderful happened or something terrible happened. Only mature folks in the faith can handle that. And usually suffering brings that. Here's the last thing. Suffering conforms us into the image of God. We become more like God through suffering. And those verses are very familiar to most of us, but maybe not in this context. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things God works for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Really? It seems like some stuff didn't work out too well. We're tempted to read these verses to say that God will bring good out of everything. What he does is redeem the pain in the circumstances. What he does is use those things to bless other people. That's what it means when it says all things work together for good because some things are not good. They don't feel good. They don't, they don't make us feel like our lives are going in the right direction. I mean, they're really impediments. They seem like suffering. They seem like pain. And the truth is they are. But God is saying if we sit still, if we pay attention God will conform us in the image of Jesus through these experiences. And that's important to be conformed in the image of Jesus. That's what we're still here for. That's why following our salvation, for those who have made that decision, we are supposed to grow in Christ and become more like him. Well, suffering causes that. Who suffered more than him? Anyone, ever. Well, that's more like Jesus. And look how it turned out for him. That's the victory. So, we may experience horrendous things here on earth, but if they conform us into the eyes of Jesus and the, and the life of Jesus and the way Jesus was, then, then we won the victory, just like he did. Suffering conforms us into the image of God if we're obedient. 
I was um, in Berlin speaking. And um, Berlin's a very vibrant, attractive, wild city. Really, things, amazing things are happening there. You have to remember Berlin is new. It was completely reconstructed after World War II. So even though it's an old city, it's a new city because very few things are left after the war. I was speaking in this church, and I got through speaking, and there was a line of people. And if I had seen this woman, I would have stopped the line, got out of the chair, and walked back there. But I did not see her because she was kind of short because she was on crutches. And I'm talking about the old kind of crutches that, like, you used to see polio victims wear, the kind that wraps around your arm and has long aluminum things and kind of rubber tips on the end. And she was kind of leaning down behind some people, because anytime I see people in a wheelchair or something, I get up and go back to where they are. I don't want them to come to me. I was in a wheelchair, and I understand. And, and she, the people finally, I mean, she walked up there, and she's got the crutches. And I said, I apologize for letting you have to walk up here. I didn't know you were back there. She said, it's okay. And she says, I had to come see you because I knew you would understand this. I said, what? She said, remember when Germany was divided? I said, oh, yes, I remember very well. I remember when the wall came down. She said, I was in East Germany, and I was in East Berlin. I mean, you may remember that Berlin is over here in what is East Germany, or was then, and it even had sectors, the, the American sector, the, the British sector, the French sector, whatever. So they're over there, and you only get there by rail or Roads. Well, the, the East Germans closed the roads. The communists closed the roads. So we had to do airlifts. My dad was part of that, getting food over to these people. Well, she lived through all of this. And she said, you've seen the wall. And yes, I've seen the wall. There was still a lot of it left in. There's hardly anything now. And I've seen the wall. She says, well, they didn't build a wall where the river is. They just put some barbed wire where the river is. And so you didn't even get near the river, and it was pretty wide. You, you, know, you couldn't get over the river. I said, yes, ma'am, I've seen that. She said, have you seen the white crosses along the river? Yes, ma'am. She said, those are dead people. That's where people who are crying across the river got killed. I said, I just can't imagine what it was like. She said, I lived over there and as a young girl. I think she was in her late teens, early 20s. And she said, I was carrying some stuff, some packages along the river one day. And I looked over there at the other side, and people seemed so happy. They seemed so contented, and they seemed so wonderful over there and I didn't even think about what I was doing I just dropped everything I had and I jumped over the barbed wire, barbed wire into the water and I started swimming for everything I was worth and I, I, I was making good progress I thought I'm going to make it I know I'm going to make this and I heard a shot ring out and then I felt this, this burning pain in my back and then suddenly in spite of my best efforts I began to sink there in the river and I thought, well, this is it, uh, you know, but I tried. I, I, I tried to, to be free. It was worth it. And I knew I was going down, but then I didn't feel anybody anywhere around me, and I knew they didn't even know. They, somebody must have known. But in a little while, as I began to sink to the bottom, I felt some hands kind of lifting me up. And I thought, well, they're going to come and get me and take me back to prison. They've caught me. No, it were people from the other side. They saw her. And they dragged her over there, and they dragged her up on the shore, and they began to work on her, and she was so near death, and she was hospitalized for a long time, and they did everything they could to try to fix her, but this is as good as she got. She's telling this story to me, and I'm just kind of, my mind is blown about what this woman has endured. And she said, well, I wanted to come and see you today because I'm free. I said, well, you know what the Bible says about that kind of freedom? She said, yes, I'm free indeed. I said, well, you are. 
I said, I can't imagine the suffering that you've endured. And she said, well, it was kind of bad, but you, you did too, and that's why I wanted to come and talk to you. I said, well, I'm just honored more than I can say and humbled that you did come. I admire you so much. Wow, I felt like I was talking to somebody who knew Jesus. I was. She was conformed in the image of God. That's what suffering can do if we'll let it. Simply put, when we seek God through his word and his prayers and his people, we find Jesus. And that's the whole story of this. That's, that's the way to overcome suffering. That's the way to get to the other side. Remember, Jesus understood pain. He understood pain and he understood suffering more than any of us possibly ever could. And so he looked up at the cross and said, from down from the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sooner or later, we all ask that question. The groaning of life on this planet. Helen Keller was blind and deaf. And she said, the world is full of suffering. It is also full of overcoming it. And that's a decision. Did God abandon Jesus in his time of suffering? No, we know what happened three days later. Up from the grave he arose. And we will too, if we know him and we trust him. There may be suffering on this planet. In fact, it's inevitable that it will be. The world is full of it. But Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So it's in those times when we feel like we're on the lowest limb possible that God draws the closest. And he uses it to bless other people if we allow him to do so. I had a doctor tell me one time when I was in really bad shape, I think he was trying to say something positive and here's what he said. You know, Don, suffering just means you're still alive. I'll tell you what I thought. I think I can repeat it. I must be the most living person on the planet. That's what I thought to myself. <laughs> well, suffering does mean you're still alive. But it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with it. God can use you to bless other people. Here's what Jesus said. I love this. We're, we're, we're going to invite you to come forward and accept Christ. I have told you these things that you might have peace. In this world, you will have peace troubles but be of good cheer i have overcome this world isn't that great news and because we love him we will too if there's never been a time that you've ever trusted him no matter what situation you may find yourself in tonight you may be on the lowest limb of your life you may not even know why you showed up here tonight but god does oh would it be great if tonight you started that journey to perfection, to the place where there is no death, no pain, no suffering, no night. That's what heaven is. So uh, we're offering heaven tonight. Jesus is offering heaven tonight. He died so you can go. So in a moment, we're going to stand, and, and if you've never made that decision, no matter how much you may be suffering now, we invite you to come to Christ. You know, we don't have a choir tonight. It's not a huge gathering here. 
but this might be the very night. This may be your decision time. I told you that suffering and overcoming is a decision. So is coming to Christ. So we're praying for your decision. In fact, I'm going to pray for you right now. And then we're going to stand and have some music. And there'll be some people down here to greet you. Maybe you're trying to overcome suffering and you need to pray with someone. I'm sure someone would be happy to pray with you tonight about your suffering. Whatever's on your heart, just be obedient. It'll be the right thing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this church and its ministry here and around the world. We do want to break down the walls. We do want to we do want to go out. Sometimes we want to come in. Lord, I'm inviting people into the kingdom of God tonight before they go out. So Lord, speak to their hearts. If someone here, man or woman, boy or girl, who's really never trusted Christ, and they know now that this is the moment, this is the time, I pray they'll come without delay. And we'll rejoice knowing there's a new name written down in glory where there is no suffering. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Show each of us what you would have for us to do. We pray in the name of the one who overcame, Jesus Christ our Lord.